Chapter Twelve of the Life of Thomas Lord Cochrane, Tenth Earl of Dundonald, Volume One, by Henry Richard Foxbourne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson, eighteen twenty four to eighteen twenty five. The political turmoils which Lord Cochrane found to be prevalent in Rio de Janeiro on his return from Maranjan were, as he had anticipated, very disastrous to the whole Brazilian Empire. The unpatriotic action of men in power at headquarters encouraged yet more unpatriotic action in the outlying and newly acquired provinces. Portuguese sympathisers in Pernambuco, in Marjum, and in the neighbouring districts followed the policy of the Portuguese faction at the centre of government, and acting even more unworthily, induced serious trouble, and the trouble was aggravated by the fierce opposition which was, in many cases, offered to them. Before the end of 1823, information arrived that an insurrection, having for its object the establishment, in the northern provinces, of a government distinct from both Brazil and Portugal, had broken out in Pernambuco, and nearly every week brought fresh intelligence of the spread of this insurrection, and of the troubles induced by it. The Emperor, Pedro I, was eager to send thither the squadron under Lord Cochrane, and so to win back the allegiance of the inhabitants, and for this Lord Cochrane was no less eager. To the Portuguese partisans, however, whose great effort was to weaken the resources of the empire, the news of the insurrection was welcome, and perhaps their strongest inducement to the long course of injustice, detailed in the last chapter, was the knowledge that by doing so they were most successfully preventing the dispatch of an armament strong enough to restore order in the northern provinces. Herein they prospered. For more than six months the emperor was prevented from suppressing the insurrection, which all through that time, was extending and becoming more and more formidable. Not till July was anything done to satisfy the claims of the seamen for payment of their prize money and the arrears of wages due to them, without which they refused to return to their work and render possible the equipment and dispatch of the squadron, and even then only 200,000 mil rays, less than a tenth of the prize money that was owing, were granted as an instalment of the payment to be made to them. With that money, however, Lord Cochrane, using his great personal influence with the officers and crews, induced them to rejoin the fleet. The funds were placed in his hands on the 12th of July, 1824, and equitably dispersed by him during the following three weeks. On the 2nd of August, he set sail in the Pedro Primiero from Rio de Janeiro, attended by the Maranjum and three transports containing 1,200 soldiers. Having landed General Lima and the troops at Alagoas on the 16th, he arrived off Pernambuco on the 18th. There he found that a strong republican government had been set up under the presidentship of Manuel de Carvalho, paid de Andrade, whose authority, secret or open, extended far into the interior and along the adjoining coasts. Quote, Knowing that it would take some time for the troops to come up, he said, I determined to try the effect of a threat of bombardment and issued a proclamation remonstrating with the inhabitants on the folly of permitting themselves to be deceived by men who lacked the ability to execute their schemes, pointing out, moreover, that persistence in revolt would involve both the town and its rulers in one common ruin, for if forced to the necessity of bombardment, I would reduce the port and city to insignificance. On the other hand, I assured them that if they retraced their steps and rallied round the imperial throne, thus aiding to protect it from foreign influence, it would be more gratifying to me to act the part of a mediator and to restore Pernambuco to peace, prosperity and happiness than to carry out the work of destruction which would be my only 
remaining alternative. In another proclamation I called the attention of the inhabitants to the distracted state of the Spanish republics on the other side of the continent, asking whether it would be wise to risk the benefits of orderly government for social and political confusion, and entreating them not to compel me to proceed to extremities, as it would become my duty, to destroy their shipping and block up their port, unless within eight days the integrity of the empire were acknowledged. While waiting to see the result of these proclamations, Lord Cochrane received a message from Carvalho, offering him an immediate payment of 400,000 milreis if he would abandon the imperial cause and go over to the Republicans. Quote, Frankness is the distinguishing character of free men, wrote Carvalho, but your excellency has not found it in your connection with the imperial government. Your not having been rewarded for the first expedition affords a justifiable inference that you will get nothing for the second. End quote. That audacious proposal, it need hardly be said, was indignantly resented by Lord Cochrane. Quote, if I shall have an opportunity of becoming personally known to your excellency, he wrote, I can afford you proof that the opinion you have formed of me has had in its origin the misrepresentations of those in power whose purposes I was incapable of serving. The threats and promises of Lord Cochrane's proclamation did not lead to the peaceable surrender of Pernambuco, and at the end of the eight days' waiting time he proceeded to bombard the town. In that, however, he was hindered by bad weather, which made it impossible for him to enter the shallow water without great risk of shipwreck. He was in urgent need also of anchors and other fittings, therefore, after a brief show of attack, which frightened the inhabitants but had no other effect, he left the smaller vessels to maintain the blockade and went on the 4th of September in the flagship to Bahia, there to procure the necessary articles. On his return he found that General Lima had marched against Pernambuco on the 11th and, with the assistance of the blockading vessels, made an easy capture of it. There was plenty of other work, however, to be done. All the northern provinces were disaffected, if not in actual revolt, and in compliance with the Emperor's directions, Lord Cochrane proceeded to visit their ports and reduce them to order. Some other ships having arrived from Rio de Janeiro, he selected the Perenga and two smaller vessels for service with the flagship, leaving the others at the disposal of General Lima, and sailed from Pernambuco on the 10th of October. He reached Chiara on the 18th, and then, by his mere presence, compelled the insurgents who had seized the city to retire, and enabled the well-disposed inhabitants to organise a vigorous scheme of self-protection. A harder task awaited him at Maranjum, at which he arrived on the 9th of November. There almost confusion prevailed. The Portuguese faction had the supremacy, and there were special causes of animosity and misconduct among the members of the opposite party of native Brazilians. Quote, in Maranjum, says Lord Cochrane, as in the other northern provinces of the empire, there has been no amelioration whatever in the condition of the people, and without such amelioration it was absurd to place reliance on the hyperbolical professions of devotion to the emperor, which were now abundantly avowed by those who, before my arrival, had been foremost in promoting and cherishing disturbance. The condition of the province, and indeed of all the provinces, was in no way better than they had been under the dominion of Portugal, though they presented one of the finest fields imaginable for improvement. All the old colonial imports and duties remained without alteration, the manifold hindrances to commerce and agriculture still existed, and arbitrary power was everywhere exercised uncontrolled, so that, in place of being benefited by emancipation from the Portuguese yoke, the condition of the great mass of the population was literally worse than before. To amend this state of things, it was necessary to begin with the officers of government, of whose corruption and arbitrary conduct 
complaints signed by whole communities were daily arriving from every part of the province. To such an extent, indeed, was this misrule carried that neither the lives nor the property of the inhabitants were safe. End quote. This state of things Lord Cochrane set himself zealously to remedy, and during his six months' stay at Maranham, he did all that, with the bad materials at his disposal and in the harassing circumstances of his position, it was possible for him to do. Unable to break down the cabals and intrigues, the mutual jealousies and the unworthy ambitions that had prevailed previous to his arrival, he held them all in check while he was present and secured the observance of law and the freedom of all classes of the community. Thereby, however, he brought upon himself much fresh hatred, the governor of the province being devoted to the Portuguese party, and a chief cause of the existing troubles, had to be suspended and sent to Rio de Janeiro, and, though the suspension occurred after orders had been dispatched by the emperor for his recall, it afforded an excuse to the governor and his friends in office for denunciation of Lord Cochrane's conduct, alleged to be greatly in excess of his powers and in contempt of the constituted authority. In fact, the same bad policy that had embarrassed him before, while he was in Rio de Janeiro, continued to embarrass him yet more during his service in Maranjum. That that service was very helpful to the best interests of Brazil, no one attempted to deny. The French and English consuls, speaking on behalf of all their countrymen resident in the northern provinces, overstepped the line of strict neutrality and entreated him to persevere in the measures by which he was making it possible for commerce to prosper and the rules of civilised life to be observed. The emperor sent to thank him for his work. Quote, his Majesty, wrote the Secretary on the 2nd of December, approves of the First Admiral's determination to establish order and obedience in the northern provinces, a duty which he has so wisely and judiciously undertaken, and in which he must continue until the provinces submit themselves to the authorities lately appointed, and enjoy the benefits of the paternal government of His Majesty. The Emperor, however, was at this time almost powerless. The leaders of the Portuguese faction reigned, and by them Cochrane continued to be treated with every possible indignity and insult, not daring openly to dismiss him or even accept the resignation which he frequently offered, they determined to wear out his patience and, if possible, to drive him to some act on which they could fasten an excuse for degrading him. They partially succeeded, though the only wonder is that Lord Cochrane should have been, for so long a time, as patient as he proved. His temper is well shown in the numerous letters which he addressed to Pedro I, and the government during these harassing months. Quote, the condescension, he wrote, with which your imperial majesty has been pleased to permit me to approach your royal person on matters regarding the public service and even on those more peculiarly relating to myself emboldens me to adopt the only means in my power at this distance of craving that your majesty will be graciously pleased to judge of my conduct in the imperial service by the result of my endeavours to promote your majesty's interests and not by the false reports spread by those who for reasons best known to themselves desire to alienate your majesty's mind from me and thus to bring about my removal from your majesty's service i trust that your imperial majesty will please to believe me to be sensible that the honours which you have so graciously bestowed upon me it is my duty not to tarnish and that your majesty will further believe that highly as i prize those honours i hold the maintenance of my reputation in my native country in equal estimation i respectfully crave permission to add that perceiving it is impossible to continue in the service of your imperial majesty without at all times subjecting my professional character under the present management of the marine department to great risks i trust your majesty will be graciously pleased to grant me leave 
to retire from your imperial service, in which it appears to me I have now accomplished all that can be expected from me, the authority of your imperial majesty being established throughout the whole extent of Brazil. End quote. That request was not granted, nor in any way answered, and the statement that the whole of Brazil was finally subjected to the emperor's authority proved to be not quite correct. Fresh turmoils arose in Para, and Lord Cochrane had to send thither a small force by which order was restored. He himself found ample employment in restraining the factions that could not be suppressed at Marandrum. That was the state of things in the early months of 1825, until unlooked-for circumstances arose by which Lord Cochrane's Brazilian employment was brought to a termination in a way that he had not anticipated. Quote, the anxiety occasioned by the constant harassing which I had undergone, unalleviated by any acknowledgment on the part of the imperial government of the services which had a second time saved the empire from intersign war, anarchy, and revolution, he said, began to make serious inroads on my health, whilst that of my officers and men, in consequence of the great heat and pestilential exhalations of the climate, and of the double duty which they had to perform afloat and ashore, was even less satisfactory. As I saw no advantage in long contending with the factious intrigue at Maranjum, unsupported and neglected as I was by the administration at Rio de Janeiro, I resolved upon a short run into a more bracing northerly atmosphere, which would answer the double purpose of restoring our health, and giving us a clear offing for our subsequent voyage to the capital. Accordingly, the narrative proceeds, I shifted my flag to the Paranja, dispatched the Pedro Primiero to Rio, and, leaving Captain Manson of the Caqui in charge of the naval department at Maranjum, put to sea on the 18th of May. On the 21st we crossed the equator, and meeting with a succession of easterly winds, were carried northward of the Azores, passing St. Michael's on the 11th of June. It had been my intention to sail into the latitude of the Azores, and then to return to Rio de Janeiro. But strong gales coming on, we made the unpleasant discovery that the frigate's main topmast was sprung, and when putting her about the main and main topsail yards were discovered to be unserviceable. For the condition of the ship's spars, I had depended on others, not deeming it necessary to take upon myself such investigation. It was, however, possible that we might have patched these up, had not the running rigging been as rotten as the masts, and we had no spare cordage on board. A still worse disaster was that the salt provisions shipped at Maranjum were reported bad, mercantile ingenuity having resorted to the device of placing good meat at the top and bottom of the barrels, whilst the middle, being composed of unsound articles, had tainted the whole, thereby rendering it not only unpalatable, but positively dangerous to health. The good provisions on board being little more than sufficient for a week's subsistence, a direct return to Rio de Janeiro was out of the question. It was, therefore, absolutely necessary to seek some nearer harbour, but Lord Cochrane was considerably embarrassed in his choice of a port. Portugal was an enemy's country, and Spain, by reason of his achievements in Chile and Peru, was no less hostile to him. France had not yet recognised the independence of Brazil, and therefore a stay on any part of its coast might lead to difficulties. England afforded the only safe halting place, though there Lord Cochrane was uncertain as to the way in which, in consequence of the Foreign Enlistment Act, he might be received. To England, however, he resolved to go, and, sighting its coast on the 25th of June, he anchored at Spithead on the following day. Salutes were exchanged with a British ship lying in harbour, and in the afternoon he landed at Portsmouth to be enthusiastically welcomed by nearly all classes of his countrymen, whose admiration for his personal character and his excellence as a naval officer was heightened by the renown of his exploits in South America during an absence of six years and a half.
His subsequent relations with Brazil can be briefly told. His unavoidable return to England afforded just the excuse which his enemies in Brazil had been seeking for ousting him from his command. They, and their chevalier Manuel Rodriguez Gamiro Pissoa, the Brazilian envoy in London, who altogether sympathised with them, chose to regard this occurrence as an act of desertion. Lord Cochrane lost no time in reporting his arrival and requesting to be provided with the necessary means of refitting the Paranga and preparing for a speedy return to Rio de Janeiro. To expedite matters, he even advanced £2,000 out of his own property, which was never repaid to him for this purpose. His repeated applications for instructions were either unheard or only answered with insult. He was ordered to return to Brazil at once, towards which no assistance was given to him, and at the same time his officers and crew were ordered to repudiate his authority and return without him. Lord Cochrane had no room to doubt that by going back to Brazil he should only expose himself to yet worse treatment than that from which he had been suffering during nearly two years, but at the same time he was resolved to do nothing at variance with his duty to the Emperor, from whom he had received his commission, and nothing invalidating his claims to the recompense which was clearly due to him. At length he was relieved from some of his perplexities after they had lasted more than three months. On the 3rd of November, 1825, peace was declared between Brazil and Portugal, and thereby his relations with his employers were materially altered. The work which he had pledged himself to do was completed, and he was justified in resigning his command, or at any rate in declining to resume it, until the causes of his recent troubles were removed. This he did in a letter addressed to the Emperor Pedro I from London on the 10th of November. Quote, the gracious condescension which I experienced from your Imperial Majesty from the first moment of my arrival in the Brazils, the honorary distinctions which I received from your Majesty, and the attention with which you were pleased to listen to all my personal representations relating to the promotion of the naval power of your empire, he wrote, have impressed upon my mind a high sense of the honour which your Majesty conferred, and forbid my entertaining any other sentiments than those of attachment to your Majesty and devotion to your true interests, but whilst I express these, my unfeigned sentiments towards your Imperial Majesty, it is with infinite pain and regret that I recall to my recollection the conduct that has been pursued towards the naval service and to myself personally, since the members of the Brazilian administration of José Bonifacio de Andrade were superseded by persons devoted to the views and interests of Portugal, views and interests which are directly opposed to the adoption of that line of conduct which can alone promote and secure the true interests and glory of your imperial majesty founded on the tranquillity and happiness of the brazilian people without imputing to such ministers as severiano gomez and barboza disaffection to the person of your imperial majesty it is sufficient to know that they are men bigoted to the unenlightened opinions of their ancestors of four centuries ago that they are men who from their limited intercourse with the world from the paucity of literature of their native language and from their want of all rational instruction in the service of government and political economy, have no conception of governing Brazil by any other than the same wretched and crooked policy to which the nation has been so long subjected in its condition as a colony. Nothing further need be said while we acquit them of treason to convict them of unfitness to be the councillors of your imperial majesty. None but such ministers as these could have endeavoured to impress upon the mind of your imperial majesty that the refugee Portuguese from the provinces and many thousands from Europe collected in Rio de Janeiro were the only true friends and supporters of the imperial crown of Brazil. None but such ministers would have endeavoured to impress your imperial majesty 
with the belief that the Brazilian people were inimical to your person and the imperial crown merely because they were hostile to the system pursued by those ministers. None but such ministers would have placed in important offices of trust the natives of a nation with which your imperial majesty was at war. None but such ministers would have endeavoured to induce your imperial majesty to believe that officers who had abandoned their king and native country for their own private interests could be depended on as faithful servants to a hostile government and a foreign land. None but such ministers could have induced your imperial majesty to place in the command of your fortresses, regiments, and ships of war such individuals as these. None but such ministers would have attempted to excite in the breast of your imperial majesty suspicions with respect to the fidelity of myself and those other officers who by the most zealous exertions had proved our devotions to the best interests of your imperial majesty and your Brazilian people. None but such ministers would have endeavoured by insults and acts of the grossest injustice to drive us from the service of your imperial majesty and to place Portuguese officers in our stead, and above all none but such ministers could have suggested to your imperial majesty that extraordinary proceeding which was projected to take place on the night of the 3rd of June, 1824, a proceeding which, had it not been averted by a timely discovery and prompt interposition on my part, would have tarnished for ever the glory of your imperial majesty, and which, if it had failed to prove fatal to myself and officers, must inevitably have driven us from your imperial service. When placed in competition with this plot of these ministers and the false insinuations by which they induced your imperial majesty to listen to their insidious counsel, all their previous intrigues, and those of the whole Portuguese faction, to ruin the naval power of Brazil, sink into insignificance, but for the advancement of Portuguese interests, there was nothing too treacherous or malignant for such ministers and such men as these to insinuate to your imperial majesty, especially when they had discovered that it was not possible by their unjust conduct to provoke me to abandon the service of Brazil so long as my exertions could be useful to secure its independence, which I believed to be alike the object of your imperial majesty and the interests of the Brazilian people. If the counsels of such persons should prove fatal to the interests of your imperial majesty, no one will regret the event more sincerely than myself. My only consolation will be that your imperial majesty cannot but be conscious that I individually have discharged my duty, both in a military and in a private capacity towards your majesty, whose true interest, I may venture to add, I have held in greater regard than my own, for, had I connived at the views of the Portuguese faction, even without dereliction of my duty as an officer, I might have shared amply in the honours and emoluments which such influence has enabled these persons to obtain instead of being deprived by their means of even the ordinary rewards of my labours in the cause of independence which your imperial majesty had engaged me to maintain which cause i neither have abandoned nor will abandon if ever it should be in my power successfully to renew my exertions for the true interests of your imperial majesty and those of the brazilian people Meanwhile, my officers, commander-in-chief of your Imperial Majesty's naval forces, having terminated by the conclusion of peace and by the decree promulgated on the 28th of February, 1824, I have notified to your Imperial Majesty's envoy, the Chevalier de Gmerio, that I have directed my flag to be struck this day, praying that the war now terminated abroad may be accompanied by tranquillity at home. I respectfully take my leave of your Imperial Majesty. End quote. All Lord Cochrane's subsequent correspondence with Brazil had for its object the recovery of payments due to him and to his officers and crews for the great services done by them to the empire. 
Lord Cochrane had saved the empire from being brought back to the position of a Portuguese colony, and had enabled it to enter on a career of independence. In return for it, he was subjected to more than two years of galling insult, was deprived of his proper share of the prizes taken by him and his squadron, was refused the estate in Maranjan, which the emperor, more grateful than his ministers, had bestowed upon him, and was mulcted of a portion of his pay, and of all the pension to which he was entitled by imperial decree and the ordinances of the government. His services to Brazil, like his services to Chile, adding much to his renown as a disinterested champion of liberty, and an unrivalled seaman and warrior, brought upon him personally little but trouble and misfortune. Only near the end of his life, when a worthy emperor and honest minister succeeded to power, was any recompense accorded to him. End of chapter 12. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Gold Coast, Australia.